And cue music. Welcome back to episode number 27 of A-Sides. Uh, it's Andy once again going solo. This time, I've got a very uh, special guest on the line, and uh, I've been waiting to talk to this guy uh, for a long time, because I initially met him uh, two years ago at his 50th birthday party, and I really want to, <laughs> I really want to answer uh, this question. Who the fuck is Shane Tassert? I'd like to know myself. Oh. <laughs> well, hopefully we can do that in the next uh, 60 minutes, maybe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do some rapping, Andy. What I do know about you is from uh, that party, you love Journey, you love Kiss, you love Cheap Trick, and you even got, I think, a Cheap Trick like collage for your birthday. Yeah. When uh, we named our, our, our youngest Xander after Robin Xander, and uh, funny story... My father-in-law, he had a, a client in Florida, and he went to dinner and ended up uh, figuring out one of his clients, like his next-door neighbor, was Robin Zander. Oh wow! So there was a there was a there was a dinner involved, and at the dinner, the guy was like, "Hey, you know, you know, my friend Steve, he his uh, grandson is actually named after you." So Robin thought that was the coolest, and he wrote us a personal, like letter that that's framed, that's part of the collage, that says that Nielsen's, you know, something like Nielsen's jealous that you didn't name your kid after him, and <laughs> it was it was just very personal and cool. And then he sent me this big picket, uh, big package when they were still on Big Three Records, of like C signed CDs for for Xander for me. Uh, eight by tens, uh, picks, you know, all kinds of promo stuff that, it, you know, Robin sent us. So it was very, it was very cool, but it was like a, it's been sitting in my, in my studio for, you know, my son will be 20 this year. And, uh, two years ago, up until two or three years ago, this had been sitting in my, in my studio in a, in a big envelope from big three records. And my, my father-in-law, since he's been retired, he's been doing shadow boxes. So he's kind of, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And he was like, you know, let me mess with that. I could probably make you, you know, something out of all this memorabilia. So I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. So he did, and he actually had it for a year or two. And I thought, oh, that just send it back, you know, <laughs> but, uh, he surprised me on my birthday and, uh, that's, that's what's hanging in my, uh, in my house. So it's got the letter and it's got a lot of the the memorabilia and ticket stubs and things from the years. So this is very very cool, very memorable and personal and one of my one of my prized possessions. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess it's kind of a um, maybe a stupid question. Then you're a huge uh, cheap trick fan. Then yes, yes I am. I mean, there were growing up in in Pekin, you know, I was I got into Kiss in like seventy. I think it'd been like 74 75 is when i got into kiss and i literally didn't listen to another act besides kiss until probably 70 late 78 79 maybe 
And Cheap Trick got that pass because they were opening for them. So they were cool enough for me to listen to them. So it was like Cheap Trick and, you know, Kiss. That's all I listened to until about 1979, 80. And then I got introduced to Van Halen. But I had to go back in the catalog to enjoy that. But it was it was Kiss up until Peter Chris left. And that that destroyed my life because he was he was my hero of all time. And when he left the band, you know, although Eric was probably technically a better drummer, uh, Peter was my guy my whole life. And I was a drummer and I, I tried to be like him. And uh, when he left the band, it it. it basically destroyed me and I was anti-kiss for years you know so I missed out on some good stuff but you know you know how kids are so you just kind of gave up on them throughout like the 80s until they kind of came back in the 90s then no I actually got back into them uh I I had a, a chance to see them twice on the creature of the night tour and I had never seen them with makeup because you know living in Pekin the only way to go, you know, see Kiss would have been to go to Chicago and and nobody was going to bring, you know, a, a eight, nine year old, 10 year old kid to Chicago to go see a show. At least my parents. Would. The first time I had an opportunity was to see him in Springfield and with the plasmatics and knowing Peter was gone. I didn't even know Ace was gone at the time. And uh, I was like, no, no. So I, I got out of them probably until lick it up and then and then lick it up i started listening to them slowly again and i like all their makeup years stuff i i thought paul's voice was in top-notch shape and the songs you know except jeans were pretty well written i thought and for the time and but the reunion really kicked me in the butt because i had uh, you know my best friend ragman that had moved out here with he actually quit school at 17 to go on the road with Wicked Jester, which was my band. And uh, he was our roadie. He was our, he could build anything. He could make guitars come from the ceiling. He built our pyrotechnics. He, he did everything. And plus he was like our best friend. And we would go on tours and he would drive us around. And when it came time to move out to California in uh, early 91, we moved out here. And he started working for a few bands because, you know, we couldn't pay him out here. It was pay to play. So he started working with bands like Crowbar and, and South Gang and Slam and Gladys and, you know, bands like that. And he took off and he became, you know, super roadie. And then he started working for Pantera and, and, and you know, STP. And he started doing all this crazy stuff. But by 90 six he became paul stanley's guitar tech and so when the reunion happened i was getting phone calls from him among other friends that were in you know my old bass player kenny queens was a wardrobe guy you know for for the reunion not the reunion but for the uh the uh what was it the the thing they had out here what did they call that they're alive worldwide. Oh, like uh, Psycho Circus or something? No, oh. no. It was bef- before the reunion when they were going from city to city. They were playing acoustically. I forgot what they were calling that, but it was. Oh, it was the conventions? The, con- the conventions, yeah. And he was, Kenny was actually doing all the, he did all the mannequins, him and Tommy, and the makeup and all that stuff. So 
I was very, you know, I, I was, I knew all the ins and the outs. And then I started making drum heads for Peter and I started, I made, uh, the guitar that Paul Stanley smashed at the Super Bowl. I made, uh, out of a, one of his breakaways, I, I turned that into a mirrored guitar with Mylar and I did like the, the farewell tour with Peter. I did his drum kit with all the, the crosses. I did, I did a bunch of work for kiss behind the scenes and most of it, they didn't even know I did, but I was helping out, you know, my buddy and he would, you know, here, Hey man, here, take, you know, here's, here's this throwaway or whatever, you know what I mean as payment. And, but I was just so happy to be a part of the whole thing and watching the reunion happen. I saw their first show when they, uh, they played the K rock weenie roast and oh wow i i turned into a, a an eight-year-old kid all over again i was screaming i was on top of my chair i had never been i don't think i had ever been that happy in my life and i've, I've had children i've been married and i was <laughs> i was i was just like i could not believe that i was seeing finally you know my heroes up there and it was it was it was amazing so the whole kiss thing and the cheap trick thing kind of you know those have been like kind of my favorite bands. Uh, Journey, I've always loved Journey. Uh, Steve Perry, of course, you know, he's he's like him and Robin Zander to me are two of the greatest singers that have ever lived. And both of them are timeless. And so it's it's kind of like that. You know, I didn't get into Journey until about 80, 81. Uh, but, you know, Steve Perry is still you know, he's, he's the man. I always wondered about that kiss stuff. Cause I had heard like bits and pieces, you know, from, um, I guess Danny and Bob long. And then I th- think I heard something from you, like that you worked for him in the nineties and you were kind of like, it all kind of came from you, but I didn't know all that other stuff too. So that's cool. Yeah. It all came, it came, I mean, Denny joined best of seven in 99 or maybe it was late 98, 99. So the reunion had already started. By the time Denny became involved and stuff, they were already in the psycho circus phase. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was because of me. I mean, I have, you know, I've, I've worn the outfits. I've, I've done everything. And it's, it's amazing for, you know, somebody growing up being such a super fan to have, you know, witnessed the rebirth of this, you know, awesome band, you know, it was, it was pretty cool, but it was cool that, you know, I had a day job, so I couldn't really do a lot, you know, as far as, you know, work at the warehouse and stuff. But when Denny would come out here, they would, you know, say, hey, you want to work a day or two and make some money while you're out here? Cause when he was out here, it was basically, you know, he would come out here for two or three weeks at a time and we would record, and play as many shows as we could. We would showcase. We would do whatever we could because we knew we had limited space. He had to get back to Illinois, back to his record store, which was, you know, paying his bills. So it was, you know, it was a very trying time. But, but uh, yeah, Denny was able to kind of share some of that by, you know, being in the band and, and the people that we were working with and stuff. Our, our actual, our manager at the time was... Uh, we were working with with 
with Ragman, but we were also working with some people that worked at Doc McGee's office. So we would work with them after hours. We would go to the office and we would discuss things and, and game plans. And so it was like we were really immersed in, in the whole the whole thing at the time. It was really, really, it was a cool time. It really was. It was a very cool time. You said you were working in a warehouse. Is that kind of like the Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse, but just of KISS stuff? Yes. Before the, before the auctions and stuff, where they basically sold everything, uh, they, had, they had this warehouse in Van Nuys that you, you wouldn't have believed. I mean, they saved everything. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I put on Ace's Dynasty cape. I mean, everything. <laughs> and, and I was like, I couldn't, you know, I was like in heaven. And, you know, it, it's just, it was, it was amazing. But literally you could walk through there and, and it was like going to a museum. It was, it was incredible for somebody like me that was such a fan and, and respected and loved these people so much. And just to see that stuff and, and touch it because seeing pictures of some of the stuff, you, you see it, you know, with your eyes, but to actually touch it, it's, it's different. You know, it, when it's up close and, and it's, you know, 30 years old at the time, it looks different, you know, it feels different. And it, it was just cool to see it up, up close instead of just seeing a picture, you know, that's been touched up or, you know, and, and to see, you know, the outfits, how, you know, they had been kind of taped together and, and made to work, you know, to get them through the tour. And it, it was just pretty cool. It was, it was a cool part of history, you know, for me, but they sold, you know, they sold it all, you know, they did the auction. And oh, really? They basically sold, I think that was like 98 or 99. They had the big auction and, uh, basically everything went, you know, from road cases to, guitars to every pretty much everything that they had in the warehouse now they have a new warehouse and they do have some things there that you know they've acquired over the last 20 some years of course but as far as the vintage stuff most of that stuff was sold you know years ago and that's what i'm more you know i i've known tommy thayer since 91 92 being out here uh when he was in shake the faith uh, my band Needle Damage Done used to open for them all the time. Kenny Queens, you know, back to Kenny Queens and Wicked Jester, he actually was the bass player of Shake the Faith. So we were, you know, always doing things together and playing shows. And so I've known Tommy for years. So, you know, when he got the gig, I was I was more than happy for him because, you know, I, I really dig him and I, I like black and blue and I liked everything he did. But as far as you know, I just wish he would have had his own makeup, you know, because I don't, I don't know. I just can't, I can't wear a Tommy Thayer spaceman shirt, you know, <laughs> I just, I just can't, I can't bring myself to, I love the man. I think he does a great job. I've seen Kiss with him many times. He's always been nothing but a gentleman and cool to me, to me, but I just can't wear a, an Eric Singer Catman shirt and I won't wear anything with Tommy Thayer on it. I, in makeup i just can't so but that's just me you know that's me being you know picky but there's only one cat man and one spaceman and as messed up as they can be you know i i i hail them you know they're the real deal 
Especially, yeah, since you said Peter Chris is your guy, so. Well, I met Peter, it was funny, because I'd always, I swear, growing up in in Pekin, you know, uh, I used to say all the time, what if I ever meet this guy? You know, this, what if I ever meet Peter Chris in person? You know, what am I going to say to him? You know, am I going to be famous by this point? What's, you know, where am I going to be in my life? How old am I going to be, you know? And this is growing up and I met him in 90. I didn't meet him until after the reunion tour was over. And I came to, they were rehearsing at mate's studio and I came there to put the crosses on his drums for, you know, the psycho circus farewell tour at the end. And, uh, I was putting his crosses on and he came in. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Peter Chris. You know, and he walked up and I I, I must have looked like the like a like a deer caught in the headlights because I'm just <laughs> staring like, oh, my goodness. You know, I've met Paul before. I, I've been to, you know, I was at Gene's 40th or 50th birthday party. You know, I would go to, you know, so I've been around all the other guys, not Ace so much, but Paul and Gene a lot. And. Peter was always, you know, he was never around because he, he didn't, you know, live in L.A. And when uh, he came in and I literally, I looked at him and I said, uh, I, th- I think Ragman introduced me and was like, hey, Peter, I want you to meet a big fan of yours. He's the guy that did your drum heads for the last two tours. He, he's doing these crosses in remembrance, remembrance of your mother that had passed away. And... Uh, he was like, "Oh, thank you, thank you," and he was he was so kind. And I was like, "You know, Peter, I've I've often wondered what I would say to you, and I would I would rehearse it in my head what I would say to you." And I and I, I used to say, "You know, I don't know whether to shake your hand or to punch you in the in the face <laughs> for for bringing me into this music business that is just it's destroyed me. It's made me happy. You know, it's, it's been this roller coaster that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And he looked at me and said, how about a handshake? (laughs) I was like, like, that works for me. And he shook my hand and and we chit chatted for a minute. And he, he loved the crosses that I did for, you know, they, they were supposed to be like in, in remembrance of his mother that he had just lost that he was very close to. So, it, it was it was touching and it was cool to be able to do that for him and for him to like be so thankful you know that I did that and you know it was another one of those you know unpaid gigs you know but what I got from you know my hero you know and that handshake meant more than money to me you know money I just I probably just would have spent on some more kiss shit and, <laughs> and you know they and he wouldn't have got a dime of it, but uh, but no, it, it it was cool. I mean, I've got all kinds of stories, and, and just talking about it is bringing up more stories. So it's it's just funny, but it was it was a pretty cool time for me, you know. Being and my my daughter was little; she was you know just born, and so and it was just it was crazy, you know. That I still was young enough where I still thought I had a chance at success. And so, you know, we were still fighting in the clubs and we had great management. So things were really, really killer, you know, during the, you know, the late 90s. The early 90s sucked for everybody. But 
the late nineties, you know, for me was some of the best, you know, best times for me as far as being a, a, a musician and being in LA, you know, I got to see the strip before it died. I got to play all the clubs before they died. Gazzari's, you know, it was just, it was a beautiful time. And, you know, I, I'm, I feel very blessed for the life I've had. You know, I, I always call myself a never was because I never actually, you know, I've gotten so close to, to doing something and, and making, you know, a name for myself and something always just, just bats me back. You know, it's, it's crazy, but, you know, looking back in hindsight, I'm, I'm proud of all the things that I've done. I'm proud of, you know, the people that I've worked with. I'm very blessed to know all these people and that have known and worked with them. And it's, it's been a, it's been a cool ride. So when I say I've, I, I'm a never was, it's just because I, I've never really, you know, made it, but Mike Nichols, he's from back there too. A great friend of, of Denny and mine. And, uh, he told me on my 40th birthday, cause I was pretty bummed. Cause at 40, I started going, you know what? I think it's kind of over for me. And he looked at me, he's like, you know what? If you were 13 years old, if you could meet your 13 or, or 14 year old self and meet you right now with what you've done and you've accomplished so far in your life, you'd be pretty damn impressed with yourself. And I was like, whoa. So ever since then and his little, his little words of wisdom, I've, I've thought about things differently. I, I have been lucky. And making it isn't necessarily being in Billboard magazine or having a hit song. It, making it is, I've been in LA since 91. I've never went hungry. I've played with some amazing, amazing people, famous and not famous. I've shared stages with amazing people. I've played all the clubs that people dream about playing. And most of those clubs aren't even around anymore. You know, I've watched bands come up in the clubs that, you know, now are, are superstars and I've met them and some of them I still call friends. So it's, it's really cool to, uh, I've had a very blessed life and, you know, every once in a while I'll get down and I'll be like, ah, you know, I could have done so much more and yeah, I probably could have, but I, you know, I, I can't complain. And, and I think when people do it, it's just sour grapes, you know? It's been a great ride, you know? Yeah. Even even on my level, it's been fun, you know? So I can't, I can't complain. Even meeting your hero, um, the way you did too, sometimes like, uh, don't they say like, be careful, like meeting your heroes because they might not be who you thought they were. But then, yeah, you got all this kind of like behind the scenes kiss stuff. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. Peter was very cool. I mean, I've heard all kinds of horror stories. And I know the guy can be, you know, I've seen him be a little, you know, <laughs> a little brash, I guess. But uh, to me, he was respectful and, you know, it was, it was cool. It was great to meet my hero, you know, like Bullet Boys. I mean, in in 89, I had uh, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant and I moved back. And we, we had a, a daughter that, you know, still lives back there, Shandy, which is named after a Kiss song. <laughs> uh, but uh, what was I going to say? But going back there, 
in 89, I had quit Wicked Jester and moved back to Illinois to be a dad. You know, I thought that's what I had to do. And uh, so I pretty much quit everything. And I, I joined a little, or I started a little band back there. And I remember Bullet Boys and In Living, or Living Color came out around the same time, those albums. And I went out to JR's Music, I think it was, or it might have been Music Land by then. And I bought both of those on, on cassette. And I loved the Bullet Boys. I listened to them over and over again. I would, on the way to rehearsal, I would sing with all the songs. I knew all the songs. And what happens, you know, you know, years later, I'm singing for the guys. I mean, all three original guys, I'm the lead singer and we're, and I'm singing those songs on stages, you know, across the United States with these guys. And I'm like, wow, this is, so to me, even, even talking about this is, is like, it's making me smile. Cause I'm like, wow, I've had a, I've had an awesome life. It's been pretty cool, but it just goes to show that, I mean, they were kind of my heroes and years later, you know, I'm in a band with them, you know, we're breaking bread, we're, we're hanging out, we're, you know, so it's just crazy how things can happen. But yeah, it's just wild. It's just crazy. You had mentioned like growing up in, in Pekin uh, too, and I guess seeing Kiss back then, like all that stuff, I guess is like before my time, because I was born in 84. I didn't uh, get into Kiss until like 2010. And even my first concert, it actually was Journey in 03. But, like, what was it like growing up in the 70s and 80s here, like in in uh, Pekin? It was it was awesome. It, it was. It was like living in Mayberry. You know, I, I I wish it was more like that now. If it was, I would, I would move back in a heartbeat because I, it was more of a small town and and I don't know, they, they started tearing down like the old theaters and all that stuff and, and just building boxes and tearing down the old schools. And it was like, what are you, what are you guys doing? The whole charm of that town was the, the, the old buildings and, and the infrastructure that had been built, you know, you know, a century before almost. And they just, they messed it all up. They tried to modernize it. You know, how many how many super Walmarts do you need in a town of 34,000? <laughs> True. You know, and, and a Kmart and this. It's like, dude, I mean, it's it just they messed it up. They, they tried to expand. They tried to make it into a, a mini Peoria and they shouldn't have. They should have kept it small. You know, it was it was more of a sleepy town where kids could, you know, run around and and then when you started doing that, you know, the meth comes in and then later on the heroin comes in and, you know, you got meth labs blowing up on 14th Street. You got, you know, that shit didn't happen in the 70s and 80s. You know, it was it was it was fun. You know, kids could play outside. They could be gone all day. You know, we could walk the railroad tracks, you know, way, way. I don't even know where we ended up half the time. You know, we would just be gone until nightfall. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything. It was just, it was fun. And and one thing that, you know, growing up in, in the early 80s, I started, I, I 
used to live down the street from a place called Matthew's Music that was on uh, Court Street, right down the street from where we lived, my brothers and I. And my mother and father got got divorced in like 78. So I, I kind of had to watch my brothers all the time. So they were like my, my anchor. And it was annoying as hell, but, you know, but we got to experience some cool stuff. But I used to go to this music store all the time, and I was just a punk kid with a smart-ass mouth, kind of like I, I have now. I'm just older. <laughs> and uh, I would go in there and look at his CB700 drum sets that he had. And uh, one day I was there, and he came over. The, the owner name was Mark. He was the son of, of Rudy that owned Matthew's Music. And he was about 25, 26, and I was probably... I don't know, in 82, what would I, I've been like 14. And uh, I was looking at this yellow set of CB700, you know, like they're fiberglass piece of crap drums now, if you look at it. But at the time they were like flashy and they look like Eric Carr drums. And he was like, what are, what are you looking at? You can't afford those. And he was just being an asshole. And I was like, well, I'm a drummer, you know, I, I need some, you know, I want to play some, I need some drums. And he's like, oh, okay. What if I give you some sticks? What would you do? And I said, I don't know. Play the drums. And he gave me a set of sticks, and he kind of smirked like, ah, oh, this is going to suck. And I ended up playing. Uh, I forgot what song, but I started playing some, some stuff. And within 10 minutes after I stopped playing and put the drumsticks down, he asked me to play in his band. Oh, damn. So in 1982, I was playing The Hole in the Wall, in Pekin, I was playing clubs as a drummer that could do high backups because I was 14 and my mom would bring me to the clubs and walk me out during breaks because I couldn't be in there because I was too young. And, you know, that, that happened. And then after a while, after about two years of doing that, I was like, you know, Motley Crue was coming out and, and I saw these, I, I actually, what happened was I saw Toto in 1982 uh, at the state fair, uh, not state fair, the heart of Illinois fair. And I saw Bobby Kimball of all people with his mustache, you know, singing for Toto, Toto. And he, he wiped his brow with these towels and he would hand them out. And these chicks were freaking out in the front row. And I'm looking at this guy going, this guy looks like my dad and because he's on that stage with the with the mic in his hand these girls you know it doesn't matter what the hell you look like so i was like okay i gotta get from behind these drums so i sold all my drums i quit that band i went to radio shack and bought a mic stand and a mic with my detasseling money and a, a realistic mic and I became a lead singer. And how this all ties into the 70s and 80s, you know, back there was kids weren't playing rock and roll. Kids weren't playing in bands. They weren't. They just weren't. And everybody liked rock and roll. But in 82, you know, there wasn't a million little kids, you know, with Guitar Player Magazine and Tablature, you know. So in 82... 83, I, I started playing. I met this this kid back there. I actually, funny story, I keep rambling. I'm so sorry. 
Oh, it's fine. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask met, how you kind of went from uh, the drums to singing. So, well, I met this. I we were we were like uh, video game rats at the county market that was across the street from our house on Court Street in Pekin. So we would go there and just play video games, but we had no money, so we had to learn how to scam. So we knew that people would would come there you know, parents would come there with their children and they'd give their kids some money to keep them on the video games while they went into the store and went grocery shopping. But if you remember when arcade games were around, you know, you could continue games, but you had to keep feeding quarters. Well, I met, I met this guy. I would, I would always see how I could work it. You know, it was always a work and he was like, Hey, can you go get me a dollar's worth of quarters? I was like, yeah. And I would take the money and I would run and hide knowing that his parents would have to leave the store and they're not going to stick around to try to find me for a dollar. <laughs> so so basically I would steal people's money and I would actually watch them leave with their parents, you know, very angry. And I would and then after I knew they were gone, I would go, you know, exchange the dollar for quarters and then I would play video games. Uh, we were very poor. So it was, you know. Not that that's an excuse, but, you know, that's how we, we, you know, got through life. But I met this kid, at like, two years later, like, in 84, it might have been. I was, uh, I met this kid in school. I think I was my freshman year in high school, and uh, I, I found out he played guitar. And I was like, you know, I, I want to start a band. You know, do you play guitar? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I was like. I, after I talked to him for a while, he was like, yeah, I'll meet you at your house. So he was going to come over. His parents were going to drop him off that Saturday morning. And we were going to start writing songs. And about midway of talking to this guy and giving him my address and stuff, I realized this was one of the guys that I ripped off at the county market. <laughs> and I, I swear, he came that Saturday and I kept praying he didn't remember me and we got done you know kind of going over some songs and and i had written some songs you know before that we started working on and he his parents you know were honking in the driveway coming to pick him up and I, all i can remember was him looking at me and going you know i remember you you motherfucker <laughs> i was like i was like what he goes you're that you're that son of a bitch that stole my money and I was like, oh, man, I, I, I'm sorry, dude. He was like, it's, it's cool. It's cool. And, you know, we've been friends ever since. But, you know, we started this band. And, you know, that then we ended up, you know, with Justin Robbins, which is, a, you know, somebody that plays everywhere in Illinois still to this day. And Danny Budkey was our drummer. And, you know, we became a little club. But, you know, there most kids were BMX, you know, the Brian Curlins and, and stuff that, that I came in contact with later that are very talented musicians. Those, those kids were, they were, you know, BMXing, you know, they were freestyling. They were doing all this stuff. We were playing music and, and playing gigs, you know, at, at 14 years old. And later on, it was like this second generation all jumped on the bandwagon, you know, and then, you know, it was the, you know, then, Black Diamond came after that, 
you know, with Brian Curlin and Jerry DePew, which is another, you know, guy from central Illinois. And we had Greg Tribbett, which was Mudvayne's guitar player. He was our bass player because, you know, when you had Brian and you had Jerry DePew at the time, you know, they were better guitar players. So it was like, it's just ironic or, or just crazy that the, the, the guy that we made play bass because we thought he sucked ended up being, you know, kind of a guitar hero. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's like, I mean, either we, we didn't know what the hell we were talking about or, or, you know, Greg, you know, really got his shit together, but it's just funny, you know, how, but during the eighties, it was cool because we were the only young kid band that was playing. There was one other band in Peoria that we were kind of in competition with and they were called strict victim. And then later on they became tantrum, but they were around the same age that we were. And we weren't really rivals because we were from, you know, they were from over the, over the bridge, but you know, as far as, you know, there was a rivalry just because we were around the same age and we were trying to play the same kind of music and we were writing originals. And, and then later on in the eighties, it kind of, you know, everybody played guitar. Everybody was in a band. Everybody, you know, it what it became not special anymore. And by the time I left, I I left for Biloxi to join Wicked Jester in '87. So I moved away in '87. So I I I really, you know, I I never really looked back. So by 87, I was pretty much out of there. So as far as any anything past that, I was either in Biloxi, Mississippi, New Orleans area, or I was out here, you know. So that's my story. <laughs> I know now that you're playing in that uh, Journey band, Wheel in the Sky, right? Yeah, I, I actually started a few years ago. I, I got a – I answered an ad. I'd always rehearsed to Journey as far as warm-ups and stuff. I always would would sing Natural Thing by Steve Parrott, by Journey. Uh, and I would warm up to that before I played any show. You know, I would do that, and then I would say my prayers because I always would pray, say a little prayer to God that, you know, get me through this show, make, you know, help me out. or And uh, so I never really... T- thought I could sing like Steve Perry. I still don't. But uh, I, I answered an ad about three, maybe almost four years, four years ago. And it said, uh, Journey Tribute looking for a singer, a backup singer, because they have a singer, but they needed somebody to do the off dates and stuff that the, the main singer couldn't do. So I, I called, I left a message and he asked for an audition tape and I, I sent I sent some stuff and he goes and he we never really talked on the phone but we emailed back and forth and he uh, he emailed me back and said you don't have to audition or anything I've known that you were a star you know for 20 years and I was like what what who are you you know I, I didn't know who it was and then it, it turns out which is kind of funny how this thing all comes back full circle he actually was ace fraley's guitar tech on the on the reunion tour and i think he actually worked with them until uh the farewell the first farewell tour 
and until a bomb went off and basically you know it blew his eardrum out so he actually had to leave but he actually formed uh formed this this journey tribute and uh so i i was with him for a couple years and then we kind of had a falling out unfortunately and i had to form my own so i uh i recruited uh eric ranio which is a, a guy that he's played with everybody. I mean, he was like melodic rock keyboardist of the year, like, I don't know, five, 10 years in a row. He's played with everybody, you know, from Joe Lynn Turner to the babies. He's, he's done some pretty amazing things. So I recruited him. I got Frankie Lindia, which I've known since he was 13. He's the guitarist of David Lee Roth band. He, he's, you know, the guy you'll see playing the stadiums. If that ever happens again, I got Gary Holland playing drums, which was the original drummer of Great White. He was on the first record. Uh, and I have this bass player, uh, Jeffrey Bretz. He's he's a school teacher out in, uh, I don't know where, where he's living right now. But anyway, he's, he's one of the most talented guys I've ever met, too. So we've, we've just been playing and you know, we have, we have a good time with it. You know, I, we don't take it too serious, but at the same time we try to do it justice and it, we've been, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate. It's been fun. We like each other and, uh, you know, there, we, we play, you know, we play as far as Denver, we fly around the country and, and, you know, it's, it's a good time. So it, it keeps my chops up and it's fun. And, but, you know, I'm working on something else right now, which which is I'm actually working on a few things. Uh, the Bullet Boys are are you know in a reunion stage right now, but uh, Mick and I are still working on the Hot Summers, and we've just worked up three new songs. So we basically have a double album right now. Oh, cool! That that just needs to be basically mixed and and touched up here and there, and we've uh, we're just waiting for the right time because. You know, of course, Bullet Boys is the name, so they're gonna they're gonna need to put out their product first, of course, which makes complete sense business wise. So, so I'll just have to wait a little bit longer, but we've got that going on, and I'm gonna release some old Needle Damage Done stuff from the early '90s part of my career, and you know, I, I still hold out hope that you know Denny and I could maybe do some stuff together. I mean. Denny's, you know, it's, I love working with Denny. He, he writes songs. And even when I hear him sing the songs that he sings for his band, I hear myself singing them, you know, because he's just always written, you know, when I hear him write, he like writes with my voice in mind. So I'd, I'd like to do something with him, you know, someday, you know, maybe I know he's a busy man, but Hopefully that someday we can find some time to, to, you know, do a couple more best of seven songs that to me would be fun. And I'm actually working. Uh, Joe Casey actually was the guy that took uh, Denny's place in best of seven when I reformed it in 2003 out here for a couple of years. And uh, he actually wrote the psycho circuit, not the psycho circus, but the, uh, I forgot which comic books. He's a comic book writer. And uh, 
he actually wrote some of the Kiss comics, and so he's had a he, a love for Kiss. He and I have have that, that kinship, and we actually talked a few days ago, and I think we're going to start a Kiss tribute band, but it's not, it's only going to be non makeup Kiss. So we're we're exploring that right now of just doing the non makeup Kiss, and there's probably no market at all for that, but. It sounds like something fun, so so we might we might try to do something like that. Oh wow, that'd be cool. But I don't know how cool it'll be, but you know it'll be it'll be different. I mean, there's a million and one Journey tribute bands. There's a million and one Kiss tribute bands that put on the makeup and do the whole show. But nobody plays, you know, you know, million to one or Reason to Live or you know. Uh, all night kiss don't even play those songs so it's like it, it'd kind of be cool to do those you know those lost treasures i think but we'll we'll see we still we're still kind of in the uh beginning phases of that with this coronavirus thing going on it's kind of put a damper on everything all my shows have been either canceled or postponed so you know i, I don't know what's going to happen I, i'm praying that music gets back to you know live music gets back to where it was because i i really think there it in the last couple of years it's really come a long way and the clubs have really been cool and they've gotten better and they you know treat their bands and their patrons better than they ever have and it's been a good time for music and resurgence of old bands and so to see everything just come to a halt you know it's been crazy i mean i saw kiss you know, on this farewell tour at the Staples Center. And literally, you know, not even a week later, you know, the whole world shut down, you know, and it's, it's just crazy to, to see what's, what's going on. And I'm just praying we can get back to some sense of normalcy soon. Cause you know, there, we have friends in Las Vegas, uh, Danny Coker and, and, his wife, they they own Vamped in Vegas. His wife Corey is a is a good friend of mine, and you know she I I check on her every now and again because that's the biggest rock club in Vegas, and they've always you know been my biggest supporter, and they're great people. And she was like, well, if if we're gonna have half capacity, I don't is is it even worth it? You know. So it's 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 a very sad kind of scary time for musicians and clubs and I just hope things get back to normal and and people go out and support these clubs, you know. Right now a lot of these clubs like like Vamped in Vegas right now all they can do is serve food. If there's a corner pub that has bands and you know you're used to seeing, you know, your local band or or national act come through there every now and again, Right now, they're not able to, you know, have bands, but they can serve food. Go there and buy a cheeseburger, you know. Go support them any way you can because, you know, if, if these places close, we've all been there. You know, it, it sucks. You know, it, it takes away part of, you know, your, your town, the, you know, the whole essence and the whole music vibe. It, it, starts, it starts to take things away and just makes life boring. We need those clubs, and we need these clubs to survive. And you know, I where else is a is a non makeup Kiss tribute band gonna play? You know, they, we need a place to play. So, just 
that's my little service announcement. Support your local bar. If if they can serve food, pick up, drive drive through, drive up, just buy a cheeseburger. Just support them any way you can, so they don't go under during this time while we're waiting for the world to figure this crap out. You know. Yeah, because I've seen stuff like that. Like some of those clubs, they have been selling uh, shirts, and I bought some of those online. I guess recently, but I mean, I don't know if that's even enough. You had to save their business, just a couple shirts. No, but it's, but every little thing, Andy helps, you know? Yeah. And every, every, and, it, and it's support, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the guy on the corner that, you know, you give a buck to now is a buck really going to change his life? Probably not, but you never know, you know? And, and the next guy might come up and give him another dollar and then he's got $2 so he can go buy a cheeseburger, you know, it, it just, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the music community, you know, we, we need to help each other. I know it's very competitive and I know, you know, there's a lot of backstabbing and a lot of bullshit that goes, you know, with some of it, but for the most part, we're in the same business and we all, we need each other, you know? If if the clubs close, we have no place to play, you know, and it's not their fault this stuff's going on right now. And it sucks for us musicians, but, you know, I have a day job. I'm I'm not going to starve, you know, and, and most people at my age, you know, they, you know, they've realized they're probably not going to make a living with just music. And so, that you know, they've got a, a side hustle or, or something going on. But these clubs, you know, a lot of people have dumped their whole lives, you know, their life savings, everything into these clubs. And, you know, and once it's gone, it's gone, you know, and and you, you just just like the, the old buildings in, in Pekin and stuff, you know, do you really need another Dollar General, you know, because that's what's going to happen. They're going to tear down the club, use the property build a box on it and pretty soon you have another dollar general or, or you know how many of these walmart dollar generals do you need in one city you know so i i just i just want everybody to support them and I, i'm really passionate about about these clubs and these club owners and, and helping them get through so i commend you for for buying you know even one t-shirt you know you you're you're showing effort and you're trying and you're you're throwing support out there and sometimes you know that means more than money it shows that people care and it might give them another incentive to to work another day you know by just getting oh wow look we got we sold a shirt today somebody gives a shit about me you know in this club and what I'm doing so you know what I'm going to fight another day I'm going to you know and sometimes it's it's the little things Andy it really is it's the little things that sometimes can can change everything and i i honestly believe that so thank you for doing that you know yeah oh for sure i did want to backtrack a little bit you had said though that you're uh starting that kiss unmasked era tribute like and you had mentioned uh all night and i just kind of smiled too because i was like that's one of my uh favorites from that era are there any like a uh, kiss songs that you like love like singing I, I will tell you that my favorite is a well it's not non makeup I mean it's it's creature of the night but I still love you is my favorite yeah because didn't you guys try to play that at that party uh, too I think 
I think I was just messing around with it, but yeah, that that to me is that and a million to one that I keep mentioning. I think that was Paul Stanley's like just pinnacle. I thought he was just on fire. It's so sad to see you know what's happened you know with his voice, but you know that that happens as you get older. I mean, you can't sing like you did when you were twenty. 20 you know when you're almost 70 years old you just you just can't especially with the hard touring that these guys do yeah but those guys that, are like non-stop yeah and, and it's it's sad because they don't have to work that hard they really have enough money where they don't have to do world tours that you know but i i honestly i, I know they get a lot of flack and you know because they're money grubbers or blah 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 but i honestly believe that they love doing what they do i i really do because they don't they don't have to do it they they don't have to to go to the extremes that they do you know if you're a kiss fan you know like i am you know you buy this you buy the crap if they put their logo on it you know you buy it you know you just you just do so for them to to go on these world tours that take a year and, and beat the shit out of them. These are older men, you know, they, they don't have to be, they could be sitting at home with their kids collecting money from just the interest from, you know, their bank accounts. These guys do not have to play live ever again, but somehow they do. And I honestly believe that they do it because they love it and they love performing and, and they love, you know, pleasing their fans and as cliche as that sounds i honestly believe you know that's why they 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 are still doing what they're doing i don't think it's a cash grab i honestly think it's because they they actually enjoy you know playing and and performing and it's who they are you know it's almost like they've become the demon and the star child and that's who they are you know and i i don't know but those are those are my favorite songs that they've done. So I'm sorry I, I started jumping <laughs> ship again. It's okay. Like I think I think you're right with your point though because yeah they're like 70 years old and they're putting on the uh, armor and the big boots and stuff. It's like yeah they don't have to do that because that's like I don't know it's got to be what 50 pounds of stuff and they're up there for like two hours. It's got to kill them. Well I know I mean Gene especially Gene Gene wears I do know that he wears like like special they, they wear special orthopedic like insoles in their boots now and they have for a few years now because it's it's painful i mean yeah. if you've ever i've i've actually had some of these boots on and i couldn't i would break my not only would i break my ankle you know just walking in them but running around on stage and doing it for you know a 90 minute set every night for weeks on end, you know, cup, you know, three, four nights a week at least, you know, you you have to to endure the pain and stuff that they 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 go through being older gentlemen and you know they they have to. I I, I honestly believe they have to because if they didn't, what I mean, Andy, what would you do right now if you were a say you had. $50 million in the bank. Are you going to go work at Caterpillar every day? Or are you going to sit on your ass and do whatever you want because you're rich? You know what I mean? 
you're not going to you're not going back to cat you're, you're going to you're going to you know do whatever you want with your 50 million dollars why would you you know i don't have to do that anymore and especially at 70 years old i mean i know being i'm only i'll be 52 and i'll tell you sometimes i'll pull up to a club and i'll be like oh my god why am i still doing this 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 is horrible. The sounds horrible. The club's horrible. It smells like piss in here. But you <laughs> but you know, you once you're on that stage, you forget all that shit and you love it, you know. And you forget all about the bullshit. Now, the minute I get off stage, I turn right back into the same asshole I was before. But <laughs> while I'm on stage for you know that ninety minutes or whatever, I. I become, you know, I love it. it. It's, but I can't see Gene and Paul not, you know, pulling up to, you know, some place, even though it's a stadium, and going, you know, I, I'm done with this. This is, you know, because if you've ever been on the road, you know, besides that 90 minutes, it's the loneliest place in the world. You know, you have. I do a lot of flyouts, but I did a five night gig in Laughlin a couple years ago and I had to stay at the casino. So for literally five days, I was, I was by myself, you know, I was bored to death. I see why people get depressed on the road. I see why people tend to drink and do drugs to, you know, help them get through you know, the other 22 and a half hours of the day, because literally, you know, you wake up in the morning, you don't have sound check until, you know, the afternoon. So you have to fill all that time. You're basically by yourself, even when you're with a band, most of the time you don't want to hang out with the guys that you're going to be on stage with all day because, you know, you, you just don't, you know, <laughs> you just, you're sick of them. So basically you're you're by yourself, you sound check, you know, that sometimes can be a half an hour to an hour and a half. And then after that you go back to your room, you take a shower, you relax, but it's it's very lonely. And you know, and then and then you get driven to the club, they pick you up, you go play the show, you come off stage, they drive you back to the event, you know, to your hotel. And then, you know, it's, 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 it's very strange. And I understand how people, you know, get lost and, and, you know, there's a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. And so getting back to kiss, I, I can't see unless they truly love what they're doing wanting to do what they do you know i just i just don't i don't know i might be naive but i honestly believe that they love what they're doing and you know and they never rest on their laurels you know back to ragman which was you know our roadie one of my best friends and you know used to be paul's guitar tech he now has a has a company, and for the last ten years, he's the guy that is responsible for designing and building the Kiss stages. And every year they get bigger and better. And so, I mean, 
they, they could literally go out with a 1977 stage from the Love Gun era. And most old fans would be happy with that. And they know that, but they don't. They go the extra mile and they, you know, they pay a lot of money to make a bigger spectacle than they did the last year. So, you know, why would they do that unless they really give a shit, you know? Because they wouldn't, you know, you know what I, I'm trying to say? Yeah. Or am I just rambling again? <laughs> oh, no, no, you're not rambling. Like, I totally get what you're saying. But I, I think that they really, truly do love what they do. And I'm sticking to it. And unless I hear something different, I, that's what I think. And I'm still a Kiss <laughs> fan, and I still, I mean, like I said, I, I, I went to the farewell tour, you know, at Staples Center, you know, in March before all this came down and uh, I had a great time. I had fun. I was backstage, uh, you know, hanging out with Sebastian Bach of all people for a few minutes. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome, you know, and it, it, it kisses kiss, you know, I wish it was all for the original guys, but I understand why it's not, but you know, it's, it's still when, when I was there, it's, you know, as long as Gene and Paul are there, I'm I'm pretty cool. <laughs> I've seen them in in you know, I've seen them in I forgot how many states I've seen Kiss in, but I've seen them in all incarnations. Yeah, to go along with what you were saying too, with this recent tour, like Brent and I, we saw him. What was it, February at the Civic Center in Peoria, and he had kind of he had never seen them before because he kind of wasn't sure how they would sound getting older and stuff. But we went anyways and we got the cheaper, like, I guess nosebleed seats. But right. then for like the encore, we kind of like right between, um, or it was actually during Beth, we went down to the bathroom and then just kind of hung out on the little, uh, concourse area. And right. they were doing, I think it was like crazy nights, right? They do that. in the I don't encore. know. I don't so, know. I, I don't think they did crazy nights here. Oh, okay. Because I think they were doing crazy nights, and then rock and roll all night. And uh, we were kind of staying there when like the confetti was shooting out. And he's like, "Man, shit! I wish we would have spent the extra twenty bucks and had our seats down here." <laughs> <laughs> we were lucky. We we got everything comp to us, so you know it's good to know people. So it's nice having backstage passes, and we got these really cool backstage passes that were. It was right after Kobe Kobe Bryant died. So they were, they're purple and gold, the KISS backstage passes that have, you know, Kobe's number on it. And it was really cool. So I, you know, it was, I, I had a good time. Oh, wow. So they kind of like tailor made it for the Staples Center, you said? They, they did. And, and yeah. that was Ragman's deal. Ragman, you know, was in charge of that because he's a stage manager and he wanted, he's a Laker fan and a Kobe fan and he wanted to kind of show, you know, respect and so yeah, it was it was a good time, you know, and now best of seven, you know, uh, our old drummer Rob Wood, that's from Washington, Illinois, back there. He used to play in a bunch of local bands back there, also, back in the eighties. He actually works for Kiss now too, uh, under Ragman. He's uh, he used to do the uh, the meet and greet stuff with the photos and stuff. He was part of that. Oh, but okay. Now, now I think he's just general. He's like general construction and, and, you know, works for the band too. So it's, it's kind of cool when I watch these videos now 
you know, if you watch any of these videos that Kiss has, you know, authorized and put out, you read the names of the road crew. And I know like half of them are, you know, are great friends of mine and, and family. So it's, it's kind of cool to, you know, be a part of, you know, I'm like history. If you look at the history book, you remember the history book that came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. I borrowed it from a friend and looked at it. It was like the big, like hardbound uh, book. Yeah, it's right? like a Bible, like coffee table book. But if you look in there, they show flyers and stuff of like bands and and uh, tribute bands and stuff. And there's a flyer in there of Cold Gin with Wicked Jester. So we're even in there. Oh, awesome. So, so I've been I've been part of the the Kiss train, so to speak. For years, and it, and it's 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 cool, and and to talk to you about it, it kind of brings back, it makes me smile because I I kind of take it for granted, and I, you know, I don't think about this stuff very often, you know, because every day gets in the way, and you know, I have a family, and I have a job, and I have, you know, other things to do, so I don't sit and rest on my laurels and go, oh, I did this, I did this, but talking to somebody like you, and and you're so easy to talk to, I'm just. I'm just talking and it it doesn't feel like an interview. It just feels like two two friends talking about, you know, some some stuff we have a general interest in and it's kind of cool. But that's why I keep going off on these tangents cuz it's it feels like you and I are just hanging out. I'm just talking. So Oh no, that's the way it should be, man. I want it to kind of feel like that, you know? Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good ride, you know, and and kisses. I I I just redid my studio. And uh, I own a bunch of Kiss memorabilia, so I I made a whole Kiss wall, and I've been working on that. And you know, it's it's Kiss will always be a part of my life, and I'm very very, you know, I've had a great ride. They they started me in this business by me wanting to be Peter Chris and playing drums and. You know, and it's just funny to kind of be part of the family, you know, 40 years later. And I'm sitting here talking to you about people that have come in and out of my life and people I've met and things I've done for this legendary band. I'm kind of impressed with myself right now. I'm like, wow. Yeah, man, you're not a never was. (laughs) No, I'm still a never was, but I'm just... uh, I've done some cool behind the scenes stuff that, you know, a lot of people would, would probably die to be able to get that opportunity. So, yeah, man, that sounded awesome. Like, thanks for sharing all that stuff with me. Like you're uh, talking about putting together uh, the crosses for the drums and the uh, building that guitar. They basically said, Hey, you know, Paul would just say, just get this done. He didn't care how it got done, who did it. He didn't give a shit. Just get this done. So Ragman knew I was working as a graphic artist at a sign shop at the time. And I'd already done the Kiss drum heads for the tour. And I also did them for Detroit Rock City, the movie. And at first with Detroit Rock City, they wanted uh, glitter uh, logo heads like, like he did, you know, during that period. And so I built these things, and then they decided to go with the Mylar. So I went with Mylar. 
so they, they knew that I was, you know, that I was working with this mirrored, like, Mylar sticker stuff. But that's how that came to be, you know, me building that guitar for him. It was like, and to be honest, Paul has no idea that I built that guitar for him. But it was one of those deals. He would give it to his tech, which was my best friend. And he would be like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. And he would always make it happen. And that's why, you know, Paul always trusted him. And that's why they still trust him to this day. He could trust us, you know. Like when they were doing the Psycho Circus record, uh, Didi, which is, you know, the Wicked Jester guitar player, another one of my brothers, uh, he did the guitar parts for Gene's demos in the studio. So he would, Gene would basically tell him what to play. Gene didn't play anything on those demos. And he would just say, hey, but that was another, you know, ragman in. Like, hey, do you want to make a couple bucks today and, and play some guitar parts for Gene Simmons in the studio as demo, you know? And those are the kind of opportunities that we were, you know, because of, of ragman and his hard work and knowing him and, you know, are things that have kind of fallen into our laps. And, you know, it's it's been really cool. I mean, like I said, getting back to it, I'm very blessed I've led, you know, a very blessed life. I have a great family. I have great friends. I tried not to fuck over too many people. Can I say that for it? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Brent, to, Brent says a lot worse. So, <laughs> okay, well, I'm trying not to, you know, trying to be nice, but uh, I've tried not to screw over too many people. I've still got some of the same friends that I had, you know, back in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, you know, so. I've I've been very blessed and to get back, you know, Kiss is the band and they started it all for me and I'm proud to to know those guys and be a part of it and uh, tell Denny that we need to write some songs together again. Oh, I will. Um, I text him probably <laughs> too much, so so yeah, he he knows I bug him. He's a pal. He's like a brother. You know, I've known him. He used to play with my little brother's band, so. I've known Denny since he was a kid, and he used to write song all the songs for my brother's band, Fox, back in the day, and I was always so impressed, and I always heard myself singing those songs, not my brother, you know? I was like, well, I should be singing these songs, and, and when I got the chance, you know, to bring him into the fold, I did, and with us, you know, he got to record at A&M Studios, and we were signed with Nickel Mac's management company. We, you know, we played showcases for you know Clive Davis and J Records and oh, wow. Sony. You know, we did all kinds of stuff. So, you know, Denny and I, you know, we've been through a lot together, and you know, we we got to experience some really really timeless stuff that that neither one of us, you know, since or probably ever will experience again so we we have that kinship you know that we'll always have so he likes to rib me a lot but you know he likes to rib everybody a lot (laughs) yeah yep but he knows but he knows i'm i'm the reason why he is who he is so he just one day will realize that (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for talking to me tonight hopefully i can see you again before your 60th birthday party I know, right? That seems to be coming up too. Yeah. Shit. 
No. Well, I'm just hoping to be able to play at all. Yeah. You know, pretty soon because my wife told me the other day, it's like, well, you know, only zero point, you know, zero, zero point one, you know, is a death rate. So it's not that high. And I'm like, yeah, but what if, what if it's you that's that point zero zero one, you know, or what if you're the one that gave that person that died that because you didn't want to wear a mask or something stupid. It's like, just, just be careful. Just, you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Yeah, because so, maybe it would be higher if we weren't doing that and we weren't staying home, you know. And it, it might all be it might all be political bullshit, you know. And I think a lot of it is, but at the same time, you know that uh, there's the other part, you know. You you know, like you've probably been told this too. There's always there's a hint of truth in everything that's ever you know, everything that's said about somebody there's a hint of truth in it. It may not be a hundred percent true, but there's always a little hint or it wouldn't be, you know, I, I don't know. I've just always been told that I have to look at both sides of everything. And I look at both sides and I see a little truth in both, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I just rather be on the side of caution. And, you know, I, I would not want to have that on my conscience that, that I, basically gave somebody an illness that they didn't recover from so i'd much rather just you know what if they want me to wear a mask then i'll wear a mask if you want me to you know if you want me to wear short shorts if that's gonna help i'll wear a short shorts. i don't give a shit <laughs> because to me at the end of the day who really gives a shit you know you're just if if your heart's in the, it's another thing you know my wife would say all the time it's like the homeless guy on the street, you know, and I, and we would give him money and, or I would be like, well, how do we know that he's just not going to go down the street and buy alcohol or buy drugs? And she would say, that's on him. You know, your heart was in the right spot. You, you gave, you know, because you, you wanted, you know, you wanted to help this person. Now, what he does with what you've given him, that's on him now. If he chooses to go kill himself, that's not on you anymore. So I look at this kind of the same way. You know, I'm choosing to be safe. I'm choosing to wear a mask. I'm choosing to distance myself from people. I'm I'm trying to do that because, you know, and what other people do, that's on them. I, I don't care. But that's just me. Uh, here I am rambling again. There I go. <laughs> so this doesn't even seem like an interview. This is just two two friends talking. Yeah, well, that's the way it should be. But good times, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, talking with me tonight. The kiss thing, I could go down a rabbit hole and we could talk for literally days about the things that, that I know and have done and been a part of. But you've just touched the, the tip of the iceberg. But So just next time, if you want to do a kiss special, Call me up. All right. I'm down for part two. That's fine. <laughs> we'll just make it all kiss, you know, and I'll, I'll pull out my kiss color forms set from 79 and, you know, all my all my kiss toys that I have on the shelf. Take some pictures. I'll send them to you. I'll have to do like a webcast then, I guess, or something <clears throat> like a, a Zoom call. Yeah. There you go. Zoom. Everybody's Zooming now, huh? Yeah. Jeez. 
Well, go enjoy your night. I appreciate the call to all your listeners, to your podcast. Thanks for having me and uh, hope to see you soon.